Hello, my name is Brandon McGinley, and I'm a writer based in my hometown of Pittsburgh, where I live with my wife and five young children. I'm talking today about the book that I co-authored with Dr. Scott Hahn called It is Right and Just, Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion. Now, our purpose in writing this book, uh, Dr. Hahn and I, was twofold. First of all, we wanted to expose the faithful to beautiful but radical teachings of the church that are hiding right there in plain sight, that have a wonderful vintage that goes back thousands of years, but that also remain just as powerful today as they were when they were first uh, talked about so many years ago. And second was to expand the horizons of the faithful in terms of what we feel like we can and should desire for our families, our communities, our nations, and the entire world with regard to our relationship personally and socially with Jesus Christ. You will recognize what I'm about to say from every Mass that you've been to. Lift up your hearts. We respond, we lift them up to the Lord. The priest says, let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And we say, it is right and just. These words are some of the most ancient parts of the Mass. They're attested at least as far back as the 3rd century. And so every day that we go to Mass, we hear these words and we speak these words, it is right and just. And we can see then in the ancient history of these words that they demonstrate that the understanding of what religion is uh, from the very, very beginning of the Church was that it is a matter of justice, that the thanks and praise and worship and prayer and sacrifice that we give to our Lord is just. It's an aspect of justice, of giving what is due. It's not something that's layered on top of our duties of life, but it's a fundamental aspect of our duties. Now today, uh, we think of, quote, religion as any set of beliefs that people kind of organize their lives around. Usually we're thinking of supernatural beliefs, but it could also include uh, other uh, uh, religious traditions, such as Buddhism, that aren't necessarily supernatural, but we think of any kind of comprehensive view of the world that we organize our lives around as being a religion. Uh, but this kind of uh, historical sociological understanding has never really been the churches. And this isn't something that I'm plucking way out of the deep history that Dr. Hahn and I are, are going uh, and finding some ancient text to, to figure out. It's right there in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. At paragraph 2095 on the first commandment, some of the most important parts of the Catechism, we, we read, quote, Charity leads us to render to God what we as creatures owe him in all justice. The virtue of religion disposes us to have this attitude. Religion, therefore, isn't just a collection of beliefs or a sociological phenomenon, but a virtue, and it's a virtue that disposes us to justice. And what is justice, then? Justice is about giving to each what he is due. We think of it, of course, in our world as um, giving to those who violate the law what, what they are due in terms of criminal justice, or uh, giving to each what he is due in terms of uh, um, ensuring that everyone is paid for their work uh, in a fair and equitable manner, um, ensuring that those who, um, who are owed debts are paid those debts in a fair and equitable manner, giving to each what he is due. That is what justice is. But what, or 
what is God due? What do we owe to God? It's a hard thing to imagine because he is infinitely more powerful, infinitely more loving, infinitely more beautiful than we could ever imagine being. So what do we owe God in justice? Well, the church teaches that we owe him worship, adoration, sacrifice, prayer. We can't pay God back in kind for what he has given to us. He's given us existence, and not just at the beginning. He holds us in existence at every moment. He's given us a love beyond all telling. He's given us the sacrifice of his son. He's given us mercy. He's given us more than we can ever pay back. And so what we can give him is the very best that our human nature will allow. We can give him adoration. This is what the, the Catechism teaches in that paragraph right after the last one at 2096. Quote, adoration is the first act of the virtue of religion. To adore God is to acknowledge him as God, as the creator and savior, the Lord and master of everything that exists, as infinite and merciful love. End quote. So we give God the very best that human beings can give. We give him the love that he has allowed us to give. A few paragraphs later in the Catechism, we also read about sacrifice. At 2099, quote, It is right to offer sacrifice to God as a sign of adoration and gratitude, supplication and communion. This is what it means to practice the virtue of religion. It means to worship and perform sacrifices, not necessarily, not of course in the sense of the Old Testament sacrifices, but for instance, the sacrifices of Lent. I'm recording this during Lent. Uh, during a time of fasting and of penance, we sacrifice our Sundays, some time on our Sundays, and really we consecrate our entire Sunday to the Lord. We give up things that we would sometimes feel like we would rather do, like sleep in or make pancakes first thing in the morning on Sundays, in order to consecrate time to the Lord. We make sacrifices for him. Everybody places something on the altar of our lives, on the altars of our homes. And if it's not God... It's going to be something else. There's no neutrality between God and not God. We'll be talking about that in a moment. <clears throat> if religion, therefore, is a matter of justice, if performing worship of the Lord in the prescribed manner is a matter of justice, that means that not doing so, that not giving worship, adoration, prayer, and sacrifice to God, that not doing these things is an injustice. And here's that quote from It is Right and Just, my book with Dr. Hahn. Quote, neither an individual, nor a family, nor a society can be neutral between God and not God, between justice and injustice, between true religion and false worship. And so the choice isn't between doing what we need to do for God, performing our performing the, 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 the virtue of religion, injustice to him, and doing something that is neither justice nor injustice. There's no neutrality. We're either doing it or we're not. We're either on the side of the Lord, or we are uh, performing in some way worship and sacrifice to something that is not God. We're doing idolatry. And this doesn't mean that Every Catholic is doing everything right, and every not-Catholic is doing everything wrong. No, everybody 
as moments of idolatry in our lives. We all know it. We all know there are times whenever we choose sin, when we choose to uh, worship by our actions, by our bodies, by our thoughts, by our words, something other than God. We just need to remember then that this is more than just an individual matter. Notice the social aspect in the quotation from our book, but as we'll see also in the church's teaching, justice, whether this worldly or supernatural, that transcendent justice that is religion, is necessarily communal. If we're talking about what we owe to our fellow man, we're talking about something that involves the other necessarily. In some sense, religion is the most essential social virtue uh, because it involves it involves ordering our lives and our family's lives and our society's life, the, the communal life of our society towards its fundamental purpose, its fundamental end, its fundamental goal, which is God. And again, we're not just pulling this out of a hat. This comes directly from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's hiding right there in plain sight at, at, at paragraph 2105. Quote, the duty of offering God genuine worship concerns man both individually and socially. This is the traditional Catholic teaching on the moral duty of individuals and societies toward the true religion and the one Church of Christ. End quote. And so the choice that we're faced, not just as individuals, but as a society, as a civilization, isn't between a community that embraces Christ and his church and one which is neutral towards those realities. That's the lie of liberalism and secularism that tells us that, oh, we just won't embrace any particular view of reality, and everyone can individually pursue whatever view of reality they want. That's not possible. Every order, every society, every civilization ultimately is ordered towards and around something, some idea of what is true. We all act from and towards what we believe to be true. And so the choice then is between a society which fulfills our duties in justice towards God in the virtue of religion and one which does not. This is why we say in our book that liberal secularism is necessarily idolatry. We give our worship, our adoration, our sacrifice to other far more demanding and far less forgiving gods like pleasure and profit and power. This, these are the things that we have organized our society around. And it's not neutral between God and something other than God. It has placed something else on the altar. The choice isn't whether we will try to make it neutral again, because it never was, uh, and, uh, and, and returning to God. The choice is whether we will keep going down the road of idolatry or whether we will, beginning with our own souls, our own families, those areas of our lives that are most within our control, whether we will return in a comprehensive, integrated way toward the, to the virtue of religion, to, to true justice. I'll close on this note. Justice is cruciform. Think of the image of the cross. Without the vertical axis of transcendent, supernatural justice, which is the virtue of religion, the horizontal axis of temporal justice, of the justice of this world between men and among, among families and communities, has no support. The horizontal requires the vertical. 
And so we should not be ashamed to say that we want a society where true worship of the true God is not just commonplace, but built into the civil order, because that's the only option. There's no other choice that respects God, that respects reality, that respects the justice that we owe to our creator. Here's another quote from, from our book. Quote, after all, it doesn't make sense to want sanctity for yourself, but not for your spouse, for your spouse, but not for your children, for your children, but not for your neighborhood, for your neighborhood, but not for your city, for your city, but not for your nation, for your nation, but not for the world. We are called by Christ and the Great Commission to evangelize the nations, to baptize the nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That Great Commission is not some fanciful thing from the past. It goes on today and into the future. And it may seem like a, like a Herculean, impossible task now in a world of secularism, in a world of disorder, in a world of instability. But we can through, first of all, converting ourselves and our own souls and our families and our parishes and our neighborhoods by converting them to Christ, we can show that it is a live possibility today because it has to be, because grace makes it possible. Thank you for listening to my, uh, my summary, very brief summary of the book uh, that I was proud to co-author with Dr. Scott Hahn. You can, if you'd like to read more, you can find It Is Right and Just, Why the Future of Civilization Depends on True Religion, online at stpaulcenter.com and anywhere Catholic books are sold. Thank you so much for your time. Again, my name is Brandon McGinley, and I am speaking to you from my home here in Pittsburgh. And God willing, maybe at some point I'll be able to come out to Minnesota and meet some people in person. But for now, this is the best we can do. And uh, I hope that you I hope that you enjoyed uh this short uh, little uh, summary of It is Right and Just. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.